Now we'll read from uh, Matthew 17, and we'll start at verse 24. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17, and verse 24, reading on into chapter 18. Hear the word of God. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch. Open its mouth and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called it a child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come. But woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. May God bless the reading of his holy and infallible word. Hymn number 109, Come sound his praise abroad. And hymns of glory sing, Jehovah is the sovereign God, the universal King, 109.
Now let's pray. Mighty God, oh how conscious we are at times that our very breath is in thy hands. How thou dost decree how long we shall live and what we shall do with our lives, where we are sent, whom we marry, how to be parents of the children you give us, and then to prepare for the glory that lies before us. Um, Everyone who has that hope in him purifies himself as thou art pure. And thus we come on our earthly pilgrimage here today to meet with thy people to be renewed in faith and love and every grace and to do that by the means that we've already experienced, the hearing of the word read to us, the solemn warnings and the mighty provision that we've read about and the hymns that we've sung of how mighty a God thou art, and what glorious things are spoken of the church of Jesus Christ. We bless thee for the grace that's kept us through our lives until this moment. And we thank thee, loving God, for what we've known in these past weeks and the help that we've had from thee and the hope that we have in the days to come. Be with these students now, as in this short term they are facing then uh, evaluations of the work that they've done, and they know the deadlines that lie before them. Do help them. Help them now that I've prayed about this, that they shouldn't be obsessed by it, but obsessed by thee, thy love, thy provision, the help that has been to them through the days of their lives until now. Thank you for them. Bless the witness of the Christian Union during this last term. We pray, loving God, that thy help will be upon our own children as they are facing to this interesting term with its games and its trips and its exams. So please help them and help the teachers. We do pray that in every school in Aberystwyth and in the area round about, there'll be a Christian presence, that thou wilt raise up Christian teachers there who are unashamed of the gospel and can help children who talk to them. We pray, loving God, for help to our leaders and rulers. We are so perplexed about the question that faces us in the weeks ahead about Europe and we need such wisdom and our land us. God, grant that, we pray, and save us from the evil men who have wrought such dreadful grief and pain and cruelty in Syria and in the Middle East and in Nigeria and in Pakistan, God protect thy people this day from wild, wild, wicked men and women. God be with those that are suffering for Jesus' sake, those that are in prison. Do be with them, bless their time there, protect them, 
and their wives and children who are separated from them, protect them. Lord, what blessings our land has, but what tensions and hostility we can face. So please send softening grace, convicting grace, life-giving grace to our benighted land. Please bless the preachers of the gospel this day and thy worshipping people. May they be greatly helped and be, may this church be holy and may it be salt without losing its savour and light not under a bushel. So please be with us. Be with our dear parents today and help them and churches we love that are far away and churches that are looking for ministers. Guide and provide for them. Loving God. So hear our prayers this morning. I will bless the children now as I speak to them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians 4 and verse 19, children. That's the verse I want you to learn. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Okay? Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now... When I was a boy, when I was a teenager, fish and chips were wrapped up in newspaper, all right? This is basic to what I'm going to talk to you about. You wouldn't believe it, but even in 1961, chips, fish and chips were wrapped in newspaper. Now, that wasn't the first paper around them. They were put in a bag, and then there was a nice clean paper put around that and then newspaper was put around to keep them warm and stop the grease getting through and getting onto your fingers when you carried them home your parents will say what the pastor says is always true and that was true too alright I remember in 1961 uh, friends in America saying do you wrap french fries in newspaper and eat it Yes, I said, with a hangdog expression on my face. Yes, we do, we do. We don't any longer, all right? It's not allowed any longer. There was once, here's the story, there was once a family. It wasn't very well off at all, this family. It was quite a poor family. The children were always sent to Sunday school, and they loved to go, and they listened intently, because the people in the Sunday school loved these children and spoke warmly to them about Jesus and his love. And they told them different stories. And one day they told them the story I've read to you. Do you remember the story I read to you now? Five minutes ago, I read to you about Jesus and Peter, how they paid temple tax. The tax was, say, four pounds. And uh, Jesus told Peter to go and cast his net is lying in and, and pull it in and take the first fish out and there in the mouth of the fish there would be uh, a four pound coin. We don't have four pound coins. So there was uh, four drachma. That was the currency that they used in those days. Are you with me now? And Peter did that. Peter threw at the line and then pulled in the line and there was a fish struggling and, and he opened the mouth of the fish well there was money there 
And the money was the exact amount to pay for his temple tax and the tax that Jesus had to pay too. Well, uh, the boy thought about that. And he thought about it. And he thought about it. And the next day, he went to the chip shop. They, weren't, they were far from the sea. And where he knew there would be fish was in the fish and chip shop. So he went. And he stood before the man in the chip shop. And he said to him, Have you got the head of a big fish and you'll give it to me. And the man liked the boy. He said, yes, yes, Lenny, I have. And he went to the room behind the chip shop where they cut up and prepared all the fish and there they got a fish. And he'd cut the head off. Here it is. And he put it in a bag and he gave it to the boy. And the boy was very, very grateful. So he ran home and he opened the bag took out the fish the newspaper was on one side and there was the fish. he opened the fish and he looked in he put his finger in and he looked and he looked held it the no money at all not a penny was in the fish's mouth and he was so disappointed if jesus brought the fish to Peter, why didn't he bring a fish with money in it to him? Because the teacher in the Sunday school had said, God supplies all our needs. And he does it in wonderful ways. And he sat down there feeling sad. His mother, in the meanwhile, had picked up the newspaper in which the fish was wrapped, the fish head. She was reading it. Oh, she said. And he picked up his ears and he looked at his mother and the mother was reading something on the newspaper very carefully. What was she reading? There was a notice that a solicitor, uh, the building opposite is where lawyers and solicitors live who help us um, when we've got legal matters about buying and selling houses and making wills, and they help us. And uh, there was a notice, a solicitor had put a notice asking, were there any relatives still alive of a man who had died, and it gave his name and address, and he had not left a will? Could they get in touch with him? We're in his family. Well, in Wales, of course, everybody is in everybody's family. But uh, she really was. She was a cousin of this man. The next day, she dressed up. She put her coat on. and She powdered herself up. And she looked as smart as possible. And she walked to the town. And she went to the solicitor. And she told the solicitor why she had come. And she gave him then her name and address and her relationship with the man who had died. And in a few months... They got a nice sum of money after the dead man. God provided. Not in the way the little boy felt, but God always does provide. Um, the usual way is that daddy and mummy work. 
and we are trained to work ourselves. That's what education and going to school and passing exams is all about. It's about us learning to get a job, to earn money, to provide for then marriage and children ourselves. And that's the way God provides. He gives us health and he gives us gifts and gives us determination. Now, God sometimes... There are special needs in our lives that God sees. And he has special ways of providing. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness, God provided manna and quails to feed them. On the 40 years they were there, God provided for them there. And uh, when there were 5,000 men who were very hungry, after listening to Jesus uh, speaking, and they were far away from the shops, Jesus multiplied loaves and fishes, and he, he fed them. And when Elijah was being hunted and had to hide away from Jezebel, then uh, God sent ravens, crows, um, with meat in their mouths, and they gave that food to Elijah. God supplies our needs in unusual ways at unusual times of need. But always he supplies your need. And none of you are going home to a, a refrigerator that's empty. And shelves are ever got empty, no food in them. And groaning stomachs. And mummy says, I'm sorry, I've got nothing to feed you with. You've never had that. Because God has, you've prayed. And give us this day our daily bread. And, and God does that. He supplies all our needs. And sometimes in unusual ways. You children, when you come to know God as your loving father daddy supplies your needs and our heavenly father he supplies all our needs too that's part of the blessing you 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 have to trust him and love him because of all that he's done for us so learn that verse in uh, Philippians 4 and verse 17 my God shall supply all your need all your need according to his riches in, in Christ Jesus. Now we'll have the notices. Good morning. Very good to see so many of you. It's nice to have... Uh, most of the students back, I think some students are in Bangor, I think, doing some evangelism work. Uh, but it's nice to see you and see Phyllis as well. And, of course, uh, to see Yola and, and Jeff. Thank you. Welcome, uh, then, to our morning service. This morning, Jeff Thomas is preaching for us. Um, and then, after the morning service, there is the adult Bible class that meets here. And then the Sunday school that meets downstairs. And then this evening when we meet at six o'clock, again Jeff Thomas will be preaching for us. Then on Tuesday at 7.30 we meet for prayer here. And then on Wednesday at 11am there is the women's Bible study. On Friday at seven o'clock... There is Seekers for the secondary school children. 
Uh, or rise to pray as well in the morning at 8 a.m. in the Salvation Army Hall. And then next Sunday, uh, at 10.30, John Noble will be preaching for us, and his fellowship lunch then after the morning service. So you're all welcome to stay behind for fellowship lunch. Um, and most of us, I think, will have been to fellowship lunch before, but usually that just means to bring something for yourself and for someone else. And we'll all join together downstairs after the morning service. And then at 6 o'clock, Eric Taylor will be preaching. And then the offering uh, last Sunday was £1,329. And your gifts to the work of the church can be placed in the offering boxes. Then I just have uh, one other bit of news. Um, Yesterday, um, Elsbeth gave birth to a little girl. So Lente Erin Loosley was born yesterday at 6.03, weighing 6 pounds 3. Um, and so I think Rachel is here, being looked after there by mum in the back. So yes, uh, Lente Erin Loosley. I think Lente means spring. Thank you. Those are all the notices. Thank you, Thank you very much. Let's sing hymn number 725, The Lord's My Shepherd, 725.
I draw your attention again to the second letter of Paul to Timothy, chapter 3, and verses uh, 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, the most blessed and strengthening reality about God is is his love. His love for every Christian. And in these verses before us, we see some of the evidence for this. And so my first point I want to make is that uh, Christians from the beginning experience the love of God from the very beginning of, of grace homing in on them. They are recipients of the love of God. Let me spread out beyond the borders of our text for a moment. Uh, we see the love of God in creation, yeah. in the extraordinary nature of outer space and the moon and the stars and the sunrise and the sunset. The rainbow, the cloud formations, just breathtaking. If you traveled over Easter anywhere, it takes your breath away. The earth itself, the mountain ranges and deserts, landscapes, icecapes, the animal world, the bewildering Diversity that there is. The birds, the songs they sing. Um, it's strange in London, I hear bird song early in the day, loud dawn chorus there in the midst of London. Birds who can lay eggs and swim and catch fish and creatures of the deep, and dolphins, and the leaping salmon, and then there's the insect world, the butterflies. I hope we'll see a lot more of them, and the bees, and the world of plants and vegetations. When through the woods and forest glades I wander, we see them, don't we? What must God be like, our omnipotent creator, to have been able to have willed and designed and considered and achieved so magnificent a world as this. So that through our lives we would be surrounded by such glory. God loves us so much that he has created this extraordinary cosmos in which we spend our lives. You think of a mother suspicious of a man who's going to marry her daughter. Her daughter's madly in love with him. And she feels no one's good enough for her daughter. And then her husband takes her aside and he has a chat with her. And he says, have you seen the house that he's built for her? And he tells her of what her future son-in-law has done. He describes the walk-in wardrobes and the kitchen with its vastness and its marble tiled floor and its equipment and its views, the scenery you can see, and the lush living room and the stables and the swimming pool and the gardens. And 
some of her resentment towards him disappears. And God in his love has, has given us this wonderful world. Or then we see God's love in, uh, in redemption. The God who has made this world is not silent. He has spoken um, through the prophets to us. And then he has spoken to us through his son. He's given a great message in the life of Jesus Christ. In the self-revelation. If you've seen me, he says. Not if you've heard me, you've heard the Father. But if you've seen me, you have seen God. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and these three are one, one God. And this God has uh, a plan, a determination, that he will save us from the ruin that our father Adam has plunged the world into by the fall, and he will deliver us. And he will deliver us not now just by a word which was sufficient for creation, but for redemption, incarnation. The virgin birth, the life of Jesus, 33 years in this world, suffering the contradiction of men and women against him, their opposition and their hatred. So he aged, like prime ministers and presidents age in the four years they are in office. So our Lord Jesus looked 50. And God determined that he, the man Christ Jesus, would would live the righteous life that we should live. And he would do it with us joined to him as our federal head. And he would make atonement for the way we fail to live and the judgment we deserve by his death on Golgotha. So that redemption would come through him. God loved the world and gave his only begotten son. And we see the love of God in redemption and in creation, but we see it also in providence. And that's what Paul homes in here in the text that is before us. Um, God shows his love to favored men and women by bringing Christians into their lives. That's, that's what he says. That's what I've read to you. Timothy, this happened to you. It happened to me. It's happened to all of you. When you became Christians, you started to move in a different orbit and you met people. They knew God and they spoke to you about the God they know. When Keith Underhill came as a nominal Methodist, he came, the registrar put him in a room in Pantacallin with Brian Williams. And uh, Brian Williams was a, a, a a boy who knew God. And asked him, was he a Christian? He said, yes. He wasn't a Muslim. He wasn't a Buddhist. He was a, he was a Wesleyan. Oh, well, we'll read the Bible together then. Brian said to him. Yes, Keith said. Right. And he read the Bible with him and spoke to him. And, uh, and so Keith came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And the students in the Christian Union helped. And then he came to us. The parents of many of you children who are here today came to know the Lord through Christians who spoke to them about Jesus Christ. And now, in their turn, your parents are speaking to you about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in your family, 
uh, you say grace, you pray, and thank God for the food. It didn't just materialize. God gave it to us. You read the Bible. They bring you to church. And you don't say, well, I'm a lucky boy that I had parents who were Christians. It wasn't a lottery that you won when you had mum and dad. God, before the beginning of time, then, he chose to give you parents who knew him. Mum and dad who knew God. And he told them, now, if I give you children, they're a heritage from me, they're a reward from me, but you bring them up in the nurture of the Lord to tell them about me. That's what God said. And you must pray one day you'll grow up and you'll be a mummy and a daddy who will also teach your children about Jesus Christ. This is what happened to Timothy. He reminds him in the fifth verse of the letter, way back in chapter 1, he tells them how they, uh, this faith in Jesus Christ that he has, it was first in his grandmother, in Lois, and then it was in his mother, Eunice, and then it was in him too, he says. He learned the truth from people who loved him more than anyone else in the world loved him. Lois loved him, and Eunice loved him. And they sacrificed and denied themselves that he would grow up to be a healthy boy. But most of all, they prayed every day that he would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what they told him. How did the world come about? Did it come about by a big bang? Well, if it was a big bang, who lit the fuse? And... If it was simply a big bang in nothingness, how is it that around us there is beauty and consistency and harmony and design and rationality everywhere? It doesn't look like a, the fruit of a big bang to me when I hear a big bang. <gasps> I groan and I look around and I see the two cars and I think, well, they're not going to drive those two cars again. That big bang in that collision. I hope they're not hurt, but they're not going to be able to drive those cars again. Big bangs bring trouble. But Timothy learned from his grandmother, oh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what she told him. He spake, it was done. He commanded, all things stood fast. Then why is the world in the state it's in? Oh, well, Lois told him and Eunice told him about our father Adam and how he defied God and refused to do what God said, though God had blessed him so much. How is it possible, do you think, that two girls, two girls... One, 13 years of age. Do you know what a 13-year-old a girl, how, how, how tall she is? How, do you remember that there was a baptismal service here about eight weeks ago, and a 13-year-old girl was baptized? you remember that? 13. Two girls murdered a defenseless woman and laughed about it and took selfies about it and it was on the news, and it was on television, it was in all the papers, it was terrible. 
All the country was told about it, day after day. How could children, how could girls do that? Well, the Bible tells us that uh, we have the seeds of violence and hatred and contempt and anger in our hearts, like acorns. And if they are fed, they will grow. But we all the time try to put them to death by the Holy Spirit, don't we? So that we don't express our anger the way those little, ignorant, vile girls did. You were raised by mummy and daddy, and they told you how to live, didn't they? They said, say please, say thank you, say sorry. They have to tell us, because I, just like you, didn't do those things naturally. God helps us through our mothers and fathers. Our sinful natures are the reason we need every one of us to be born again. To be made new creations. And God in love does that. He brings Christian people into our lives. He brought Lois and Eunice into Timothy's life. And he brought other people. He brought a Christian called Mark. Now, do you know Mark? Where do you find Mark in the New Testament? Well, you find it, of course, in the Gospels, don't you? Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And uh, he saw Jesus. He saw him alive from the dead. And, and he knew Timothy. And he spoke to Timothy. And he traveled with Timothy. Because we know that. It says it in the next chapter. In chapter 4 and verse 11. Paul tells Timothy. Get Mark. Get him. Get Mark. And bring him with you. He says. And it's like that. Then you have other people besides mum and dad. Uh, they bring you to church and you have friends in the congregation some of them are as old as mum and dad and they are your friends and perhaps you call them uncle and auntie and they teach in Sunday school and you go to uh, their homes when there are parties and so on and they believe the same things as mum and dad they believe the Bible that God created all things and we fell into sin and God has provided a redeemer in, in Jesus Christ. And they're nice people, aren't they? Aren't they nice people? Aren't they sweet people? And God has brought them into your life and you think, when I grow up, I want to be like them. You think, because they're such fun and so kind. And then I speak to you on Sunday mornings and I preach to you about Jesus and his love. And though you don't understand all that I say, you do experience something of its urgency and the power of God and the authority of God here. And that's why it's so important for you to stay. And sometimes, mum and dad, when they get home, they say, oh, wasn't that interesting what the pastor said this morning? And they, they'll talk sometimes, not every Sunday at all. But they'll talk about it because they're thinking how important the Bible and the message of the Bible is. None of this happens because you're lucky kids. But because God 
loves you. And God has brought you into a family where he loves mum and dad. And he gives us love and wisdom. You know, we could be bored children this morning, couldn't we? Like many, many of your friends, they are bored. Um, The devil says to you, they don't go to church, and so they're having fun this morning. Uh Uh-uh, they're not having fun. They're not happy children this morning. They're grumbling to their parents. I don't have anything to do. That's what they say. Nowhere to go. It's raining and nothing on TV and there's homework. I've got to do sums and French vocabulary and I'm fed up. When will dinner be ready? And many of your friends, I never go to church, they're fed up on a Sunday morning. They're fed up. They're unhappy because they don't know who they are. They don't know why they're in the world. They don't know the God who made the world. They don't know what's going to happen when they die. They don't know Jesus Christ. They don't know why daddy can be so mean to mummy. And why people abuse them. And why boyfriends say, take photographs of yourself and send them to me. And why they got dropped. And why they have so few friends. And they don't know what life is all about and where blessedness and joy. You know, you know, you know, God has told it to you. We've heard the stories of Jesus, scenes by the wayside, tales of the sea, and we are blessed. And uh, when we come here, we meet with Him. So you. Meet with the most interesting man the world has ever seen. And that's Jesus. And you hear about him. Think of that huge life. And they know nothing about it because they say no to Jesus. Uh, We can sing. We sometimes sing the song that William Parker taught the children of of Nottingham uh, in the 19th century. Tell me the stories of Jesus, he said. Show me the scene in the garden of bitter pain. Show me the cross where my Savior for me was slain. Sad ones or bright ones, so that they be stories of Jesus. Tell them to me. And that's what Lois did. And that's what Eunice is. And wherever Timothy met Mark, he said, what was it like then when you saw him? And Tell me again about how he healed and what he taught. and You saw him alive from the dead. Tell me. You were with the 500. Tell me. And Mark did. And Paul did. And grounded him. Hymenaeus and Philetus, chapter 2, verse 17, they didn't. They didn't continue, did they? I'm reminding you of what happened to Timothy when Timothy became a Christian. How God brought Christians into his life. And I'm saying it always happens. It always happens when you become uh, a Christian, when you start getting restless with materialism and the lack of answers and the, the impossibility of believing everything came about by chance.
and you came to believe. And people said, we're going to the CU, come along. And you went, we're going to church, come along. And they gave you a book to read. And you started to come into the orbit of Christian people. So, that's what I said. The first point I wanted to make to you this morning is that we see the love of God, experience the love of God, first of all, when God starts to bring us into the orbit, when he brings friends into our lives, people into our lives, who who are Christians. And secondly, uh, Christians then continually learn Holy Scripture. So, you know, one of the great themes we've seen in this letter is the word endure. Go on. Go on. Go on. Don't stop. So here, verse 14, continue in what you've learned. Hymenaeus and Philetus turned away from it. They wandered away from the truth. Chapter 2 and verse 18. And there are people like that, aren't there? One of the elders wrote to me recently and he told me about some students and They once worshipped with us, but they were detached. You know, they kept me at bay, and they kept the church at bay. They came, but they weren't persuaded. We were never sure. No, they've stopped. Some of their family were here in, in recent months, and they've said, no, they don't go to church any longer. You know, people like that are full of mockery about themselves. Ah, yes, they say, uh, uh, we thought we had all the answers then, didn't we? (laughs) We thought we could sort everyone else out, that they were all wrong and we were the only ones right. And they say horrible things like that. None of which was true. We were amazed that the grace of God should have touched us. That uh, we should have become believers in the Lord Jesus, that he saw us uh, as bad as we are. The same old sins, confessing to God, the same failures, the same weakness, the same temptations, and he still loves us, and he puts up with us, and he cares for us. Our little prayers, our attendance at church, our mind-wanderings, trusting him, because no one ever lived like Jesus. And no one ever died the death that Jesus died. And no one ever rose from the dead by their own power as Jesus did. And there's no other friend that we'd ever want except Jesus Christ. You know, I've read the teachings of Hinduism about reincarnation and uh, studied a bit about Islam and the Koran and I've read about Buddhism and going in and in and in and in and in. in. I don't like what I find when I go in and in and in. And the claims of the cults and the traditions of Rome. Nothing compares to the clarity and the help and the love that you have when you know Jesus Christ, when you can speak to him and know his help and his blessing. The Bible began to help us when we were infants. Our parents, our food, our safety, our nice homes, our beds, our loving family, they were God's gifts to us. 
And the Bible introduces us to a supernatural world, not just the shadowlands of the television world and Hollywood and the media and politicians. It introduced us to the supernatural Jesus and to right and wrong. We could thank God for the Ten Commandments. And when we went off to university, though, God loved us and helped us then when I went to live far away across the seas for three years by myself. God helped me then. And he helps us. He helps us find a partner to live with. And maybe he'll give us children. And when illness comes into our homes, then the scriptures help us. And we find we have to do things and we can do them without murmuring or disputing. And the Bible helps us to discover that obedience is sweet. So we're not going to give up following Jesus. We're not going to deny him. We're not going to betray him because the trendy thing is to say religion is passé. We're satisfied with Jesus. We've lived for him and we've lived with him and we've known his blessing and we have no reason to stop now. We've gained so much and we'll never lose it. And what we've given up, we could never keep. We continue. We continue in what we've learned. That's why we're here, like we're here every Sunday. We continue and continue. And also what we've been convinced of. You see that? Continue in what you know and have been convinced of it. That's it. In other words, faith has turned into assurance. Faith is believing what you can't see. I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Well, now, if you don't want my Savior, what convictions do you have? What are the non-negotiables in your life? About origin, about where this world has come from in all its harmony and design and beauty and glory. What's your explanation for that? And the Lord Jesus, what do you think of him? Was he crazy? Was he uh, cruel? What must you do to save your life? If you don't want my savior, who else is there? These are the greatest questions that face anyone. And it's really cool to think about these things. Well, now, um, you know mum and dad, who are Christians. You know people like Mark, friends who are Christians. Do you feel rather pitying towards them? Rather sorry for them? That they made a great mistake? That they're weaklings? Whereas you are strong and wise. It's generally not like that, is it? You admire them. And love so much about them. Continue to believe. That's what he says. And continue to be persuaded about them. Um, 
He says, if I go, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, there you will be. Also, that's our future. And so we prepare on the Lord's Day like this for that time when we're going to see the the Savior. And then thirdly, lastly, he says that by the Bible, Christians are continually to grow in wisdom. The Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So people say, well, why do you go to church? Well, you still go to church. Oh, why do you go to church? Well, we want to be wise. You believe in Jesus. Why do you believe in Jesus? Well, to get wisdom. Because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are all in Jesus Christ. Um, He's like having a personal tutor, always there. And he talks to you and says, oh, no, 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 this is the way. And he tells us and he guides us. He tells us what life is all about, where we came from, and how we're to live, the sort of husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, children. We are to be who God is, why things have gone wrong, what man is, what's death, and what lies after death. And he helps us. Not just when we're in a jam. This is the way, he says. All right, keep going. Walk in it now. And he does so by the Bible. It's preached to me by someone he's called and gifted and given authority to speak in the church. And Jesus is there. He's there in the ordinances, in the hymns, in praise, in prayer, in the Lord's Supper, in baptism, in the relationship, the mysterious influence that we have over one another. That's why we're not to neglect the assembling of ourselves together. I was speaking to a person last week, and uh, she's become a Christian in middle age, a working class girl from South Wales. She married and divorced two bad men, and she described in detail that I didn't need some of the horrors of all of that. It was a tale of awful experiences. And then she said, but I love the Lord Jesus. I want to say that too. I have some experience of my own heart. And I'm more prone to say, Lord, it is my chief complaint that my love is, is weak and faint. But I want to say, yet I love him. I do love him. I love him because he first loved me. I love him because of his teaching and his life. I love him because he shed his blood for me and died and wouldn't end the enfleshment and step down from the cross and call a legion of angels to rescue him because he loved me. And the only way that I could be with him forever was by his fully paying the penalty for all my sin and guilt. And he loved me enough to do that. You 
You know, I've had good teachers. You know, you have a brilliant teacher of one subject in school and it comes alive and you find a book and you read about something and you study it and it's a lovely subject and people and, and all, many, many things like that. But if I only had that, I wouldn't have the resurrection. I wouldn't have hope in death. I wouldn't have the Sermon on the Mount. I wouldn't be wise. And there's a special kind of wisdom that he talks about here. And you see this wisdom. The first thing he says about it, it's wise for salvation. It's a great word, isn't it? Every conference I've been at and a house party I go to, uh, the opening night then they call for the manager to come in and he makes a speech that he makes to every group of guests that come there. And he tells them, now children, this is what the manager said in Devon a week or so ago, now children, children, when the fire alarm sounds, what are you to do? Get out of the building. Right, good. He said, that's what you're to do, get out in this. A court out there, and that's where we gather. Okay? There'll be no, um, no false alarms at all. Not testing the fire alarm, so if you hear the alarm, get out of the building. You don't want to be choked by inhaling smoke. You don't want to lose all your property just lying there in bed. You don't want to be burnt alive. Put on a dressing gown and a sweater and shoes and leave straight away if you hear the fire alarm. That's wisdom, isn't it? Some of us remember Victoria Terrace and the hall of residence and the terrible fire there. Ollie was escaped with, all the students escaped, but they lost so much stuff. It just spread. It's a lovely building now there in Victoria Terrace. It was wisdom to get out, wasn't it? Jesus spoke in the passage of scripture that I read to you, and he brought warnings about not hurting his people. Better to have a millstone around your neck and you be cast into the depths of sea. So, Jesus says that, and we learn from his warnings. I told you about Glyn and Fleer on the beach in Harlech a few years ago, and a man coming running out of the water saying, we need strong swimmers. His, he was a farmer from Radnorshire, and he'd taken his boys with a kayak, and they'd gone out, and they'd fallen in, and they couldn't swim. Crazy. And no one stirred, and how Glyn went into the sea, and uh, it wasn't far out, and uh, how he pulled one boy to uh, a rock where there was a boy with Down syndrome sitting on it, and his boy was too weak to climb out of the water, and he said to the boy with Downs, can you hold his hand? And he held his hand. And then he went back for the other boy, and he pulled him ashore, and when he got ashore, exhausted, the uh, air ambulance arrived on the beach and the sand went up. And... It was the end of uh, making sandcastles. They all were exhausted by all of this, nervous. And they went back to the car and when he got towards the car, there was the father of the Downs boy with the Downs boy. He said to his father, he said, you've got a fine son there, you know he saved my life. Father wept. He saved those boys, didn't he? He saved them. 
There are situations where we need saving. And the great thing we need saving from is our sin and our guilt and the judgment of God. And if you are a wise person, you listen to what Jesus says in the Bible. And you'll say, be my savior. Teach me because I'm ignorant and you're the great teacher. Protect me because you're the good shepherd and I'm just a sheep. And wash me from my sin because you're the Lamb of God. You need to say that to God. Without Christ, we're not wise. There were two men walking along the road to Emmaus, Cleopas and his friends, and Jesus was firm with them. They were discouraged and downhearted and in despair. And he told them they were fools and slow of heart not to believe all that the scriptures have said. I know that my Redeemer lives. God won't allow his Holy One to see corruption. I told you many times, on the third day I will rise again from the dead. There's wisdom that comes from listening to Jesus. The very angels then hide their eyes when they look at God. They can't proudly look at God, evaluate God. When they see the infinite Holy One, they hide their eyes because they're nothing compared to Him. How can we come before Him? How can we pray to Him and expect Him to hear us? How can we sing to Him? We need a Savior. We need a mediator. We need an advocate who will speak up for us. Present our prayers to him. Be wise, the Bible says. Be wise. Look to Jesus Christ. Look away from yourself. Wise unto salvation through faith. That's the next phrase. This salvation comes. It doesn't come because of our faith. We are saved only because of Jesus Christ. Faith alone does not save us. We are saved through what faith receives through entrusting ourselves to the one we believe in. What saves us is not believing itself, but the gift that God gives us that we ah, yes it is. We know it's, it's his gift. I'm going to take it. That's what faith says. The gift saves us. Ah, we're proud, aren't we? That's the thing. That's the awful thing. We're too proud to admit that we've been wrong for so long. That we made a bad choice and we've spent the rest of our lives defending it. What fools we are and slow of heart to believe in the risen Jesus Christ. And then lastly, that faith is in Christ Jesus. That's, that's how it ends, isn't it, our text? It's three simple words, aren't they? In Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. 
No one here fails to understand any of those three words. Some people say that the greatest blessing of being a Christian is justification, being righteous in Christ. And others say, no, um, adoption is the, is the greatest blessing. Um, becoming a, a child of God, an heir of God, having an inheritance that doesn't fade away, that God gives us with Christ. Joint heirs with him, that's the greatest blessing. But then others say, no, the greatest blessing is union with Christ. Being in Christ. Forever and ever. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. That I am in him, he is in me. Not for the years of time alone, but forever. And that's why you, to go on then, continue, continue to learn from the Bible, to learn about Jesus, to go on trusting in him. You can do all things in Christ Jesus you can climb any mountain you can cope you can say I shall survive I shall survive more than that you can be more than conquerors if you're in Christ Jesus imagine the the richest the most powerful the most lovely man in all the world and he gives you um, his child to be your spouse they're going to live together and that spouse, that spouse will be absolutely wonderful and caring and kind and providing and patient and powerful. And he has all the, his father's inheritance and all that is yours. That's what the Christian experiences in this world and in the world to come. Our father owns the cattle on the thousand hills. Our father is full of tenderness and love and blessing he gives us Jesus Christ and with him he freely gives us everything this world and the world to come you, you. I can't understand how any of you could leave this building this morning and not have Jesus Christ with you and in you and going before you and under you supporting and how, how, can, you, how can you get by how can you face the future without my saviour the son of God you, you take him now, you take him. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that we will continue in the things that we've, we've learned. Knowing the people who've told us so sweetly and lovingly that the best people, thank you for the best people that we've ever known. And thank you, Lord, for the scriptures that are able to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, do make us wiser and wiser as the years go by. Not in a pompous way, but in a sweet reception of all your grace and humbly to take it. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Let's sing 348. The Spirit breathes upon the Word and brings the truth to sight. Precepts and promises afford 
a sanctifying light. My soul rejoices to pursue the steps of him I love till glory breaks upon my view in brighter worlds above. 348. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Amen.